0: I'm Michael Foster, and you're listening to It's Good to Be a Man, the podcast where we are extending God's house and father rule by helping men to establish their own houses in strength, workmanship, and wisdom. Now, I'm going to read something. This is Non's writing. You'll, you'll notice it right away that it's not how I talk, but he says, Trained to think almost exclusively in globalist terms, it is fashionable among the current generation to believe that true and meaningful change occurs primarily through the champion – Of large-scale societal causes. Now, is that true,
1: Eric? Yeah. And point of correction, I did write that. So. You did write that. Yeah, that part's me. That's me. I I was, I was channeling my inner (laughs) non.
0: All right. So in the article. You said that the current generation, and you were referring to millennials—people born from about eighty-one to the mid-nineties—that uh, they, they that they believe that the biggest problems are fundamentally
1: out there. What did you mean by that? Yeah, I think that's that's fundamentally how we're trained to think. Um, I, I think many of us, if you went to college, university, uh, that was a lot of the experience. You're encouraged to get in. Into a lot of uh, broader organizations, uh, you know, rallies. There's the feminist clubs that are always big. Uh, but what you're always trying to do fundamentally is to look at the problem out there, to look at it as in terms of institutional change uh, that needs to happen, government change. We need to lobby. We need to get involved uh, in starting just broad scale organizations. And so one of the things we're talking about is that what what's typically not focused on is what are the problems inside personally you know, people's relationships. Um, and of course, on a college campus, I think that this this really shows itself well because you have a lot of people who are uh, living in promiscuity. And of course, not just in college campus, but your own personal life is a disaster. But here you are trying to tell the government, trying to tell the world that it needs to change, i.e. Greta Thunberg, right?
0: I mean, at a sort of church level, uh, one way you can see this is a lot of times you have churches that are they are sending kids out to do missionary work, and these kids are going to other countries, to Mexico, wherever, and, and they've not been discipled. They really aren't walking strong with the Lord. They're coming from – these churches aren't really doing evangelism in – with the people their own disciples or in their own community and yet they're sending people out to other countries and you know invisible children back in the day i remember that we're all jars of clay is helping us dig wells in africa (laughs) or whatever And, and yet what we see happening in our own our own culture is really messed up and we need to see the gospel applied there but yet our eyes are always at somewhere else far away
1: that's right. And, and I think you hit the nail on the head. The church is a good example. Uh, just how, you know, we want to we send missionaries to the world. Even with education, a lot of us will talk about education in terms of, well, you know, I'm sending my child who I, if you're, you know, if you tend to be Baptistic, you, you don't think they're a believer, but we're going to send them as a missionary to the school. Many of the times pastorally, you've seen this, right? That those families are actually a disaster, um, and a lot of that just comes down to it's, it's hard to deal with the stuff at home. Uh, you have to live with those problems continually. If you go overseas, you do a mission trip, you dig it well in Africa, you watch Bono on TV, whatever, you feel good. And then you get to go home and you don't have to deal with those problems.
0: One way I always thought about this is I, while I'm not anti-street preaching, I got sick of it. And what I noticed, because I used to go out street preaching when I first became a Christian, We would go out every Friday, downtown Cincinnati or to a mall over in Florence, Kentucky. We did that for about two and a half years. And then I was like, first off, this is really hard to have conversations. We're just like, it's really quick and you're not able to get into the thick of it. But what I realized is for a lot of the people that are going with us, that they were not preaching the gospel to the person at, at work or in their neighborhood. And it's so much easier to go out there and preach the gospel to strangers. Because it, it, it seems counterintuitive, people think, "Oh, that takes like a lot of boldness." Well, it takes a willingness to start up a conversation, but it takes a lot of boldness to preach the gospel to your neighbor or your coworker or your classmates that you got to see day after day because you got skin in the game. And That's so, right. there's a sense where actually going out there to preach the gospel to a bunch of folks you'll probably never see again. And uh, if they spit on you and get mad at you, it has very little consequence in the whole of your life. That actually doesn't take the same amount of boldness, does it, that it does to live it out in your day-to-day life.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of times it's just a lot easier. Uh, you know, you can, even, even you see this in a lot of reform circles. You know, you go down to the uh, abortion mill. You, you know, you hold your sign. You get in these engagements with people, and it makes you feel like, yeah, you know, we're warring against the spiritual, you know, powers of darkness of the age. Uh, but i think it's a lot harder and less sexy to say well i need to lose weight i need to get in physical shape and you know weight loss is a good example because i think almost everybody knows when you try to do that any type of personal change is very difficult
0: in the verse i always think about is um ecclesiastes 10:10 where it talks about if you have a dull axe right it's it's hard to get your work done well look right. if it's if it's hard to get your work done with a dull axe it's even harder to get your work done with a weak arm that swings the ax, right? I mean, so if we, we have to keep our body, this is our, our instrument of righteousness or unrighteousness. This is how we get things done. And if you're not keeping that in control, that says something. So these guys out here, though, these millennials, you, you cited a Business Insider survey, and they basically were talking about, you know, the, the biggest problems in the world uh, is climate change and, government corruption and and these guys are crusading against all that stuff and you say uh that they're uh they spend their most fervent energy in exactly the wrong place demanding that the government and institutions do something so if that's That's the wrong place where's the right place
1: yeah i think the right place to start is at home um and that's with yourself individually um, we can think of households, which I, I think we'll get to, but first and foremost, it's with yourself as an individual. And so I think it's understanding the biblical principle that that's what we have to do. We start with the individual. And then as we capitalize on the easier, that's actually, or at least more fundamental area as you capitalize on that, you're successful. Then you now have, uh, a, an ability to move out from yourself. Um, and I think it's the exact opposite of what we so often see, which is that we want to start broad scale um, because that makes us feel good. Um, And then we may never actually get to the point where we're dealing with the individual person, my own individual flaws, faults, uh, whatever those may be.
0: You got this great quote from Chesterton. uh, When the Times sent an inquiry out asking what's wrong with the world today, Uh, Chesterton wrote back, dear sir, I am yours, G.K. <laughs> Chesterton. Right. And on uh, the famous Perry quote, we have met the enemy and they are us. And so from that, you deduce this principle. There's a fundamental principle of life that wise men everywhere must come to terms with. Change starts at home and with the individual. So if you can't rule yourself, if you can't lead yourself, if you can't have dominion over yourself, how will you ever rule,
1: lead, or have dominion anywhere else yeah that's exactly right and and I think Michael, where this is most most prominent is when you're talking with an individual um, and and they're very like enthusiastic about these you know global warming recycling is is big We're in Colorado, so you have sort of the boulderite hippie granola crowd um and a lot of these people, this is actually where I start when I have conversations with them is I'll say, well, listen, you're, you're worried about the environment. You're worried about whether we should reintroduce wolves to Colorado or mining operations or, you know, any one of those issues. And I say, but like your own life is, is a disaster. You know, you're, you're on marijuana. A lot of the, a lot of the people like meth is the thing, even for sort of the hipster crowd, like your teeth are falling out. You have terrible relationships. Why don't you start there? And for me, that's a genuine, you know, I, I actually, in trying to care for them, I'm trying to help them understand that, you know, you, you, you actually have very little that you can do about the environment. That's the reality, right? But you can go home today and as Jordan Peterson would say, make your bed, you know, start with some practical discipline and some proverbial wisdom and you can actually see change there uh, and it would be meaningful and it would be good for you and it would eventually make society a better place Um, And those are things you have control over, uh, whereas the other things you you really don't. You got this one quote. Don't blame capitalism, the radical
0: left, or the iniquity of your enemies. Don't reorganize a state until you have ordered your own experience. Have some humility. If you cannot bring peace to your household, how dare you try to rule a city? Set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. You know, And, and then you compare this to Jesus dealing with hypocrisy. Where else do we see this in Scripture?
1: Yeah, well, the, what's quoted here is Matthew 7, which I think, you know, that, that's just a very basic principle. Um, you know, taking the log out of your own eye before, you, before you're before you going to deal with other people, uh, you need to deal with yourself and deal with your own hypocrisies. And I, I think it's at the level of, you know, Proverbs will say the same thing. It's better to rule your own spirit than a city. Um, the point is, if you can rule yourself, that gives you ground then to. Uh, make progress elsewhere. But I do think it's interesting. One of the things that I, I didn't necessarily talk about, but uh, for Christians and our witness, we undermine everything we're teaching, say uh, whether it's on you know, sound biblical patriarchy. If your own household is a mess, right? If you go home and you can have the best theology on what does it mean to be a father in the home, but if your children hate you, you've undermined everything about your message. So even if those things, like you said before, even if those things are good, uh, we have to live them out on a on a daily basis in our own lives. And people ought to be able to come to your house; they ought to be able to look at your family and say, "No, I mean, Michael is living what he is actually teaching." Right, and, and same with myself.
0: And we we uh, there are certain issues that we have decided not to tackle on our podcast until we we have achieved some level of mastery, <laughs> you know, at right. least some basic level. We've decided like, well, no, we don't think we should talk about that yet. Even though it's a, it's a valuable, good topic.
1: The classic example, right. Is the, you know, I remember being in college and I, I met a, a girl and I said, what, what do you do? And she said, well, I'm a personal trainer. And she was probably 200 pounds overweight you know, and, and you feel bad, but at the same time, it's like, well, how could you possibly, nobody's going to take you seriously. Yeah. And, and the flip side is more disgusting in the sight of the Lord is uh, having been a pastor. I feel like I can say this when your own households in disarray and you're standing in the pulpit telling other people, you know, you got to get this stuff in order. This is how you need to order. And their children won't listen to them. You know, they have unruly teenagers, etc. Um, so yeah, the, the hypocrisy. We have to deal with it in ourselves first. A lot of people, it's the pace of life. Um, you know, living your life to the max with your time, your energy, your money is basically if you picture that all of that like a credit card, you just maxed out. Um, and I've actually had pastors tell me, "Well, what I do is I try and push myself as hard as I can. I push my family to the brink, and then the magical formula. I just have faith. And what I always want to say in those circumstances, but you know, faith doesn't go against the wisdom of scripture. Those things should work together. And if you're saying, I have faith, but it's flying in the face of all this wisdom literature, then I would just say, that's not faith. That's just being stupid.
0: You've got this great quote from Wendell Berry. Do you mind reading that? Do you have
1: that in front of you? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. So Wendell Berry says, a man who is willing to undertake the discipline and the difficulty of mending his own ways is worth more than 100 who are insisting merely that the government and the industries mend their ways. And then he goes on to speak about the the, the family, and he says, a couple who make a good marriage and raise healthy, morally competent children are serving the world's future more directly and surely than any political leader, though they never utter a public word. That's so against our entire (laughs) culture right now. It is. It is. And I, I think what's poignant about Wendell Berry is he's, you know, he's a Kentucky farmer. Um, he, at this point, uh, I, this might be from the eighties in one of his essays, but he's really writing from within the environmental conservation movement. So he's, he's conscious about the environment, but he's saying to this group of people, look, I know you love to champion causes, uh, but it would be much more helpful if you just went home and built a good marriage. That's and You could right. just raise morally competent children, which many of these people weren't doing. You can see that in the history of a lot of the environmental leaders that their lives are disasters. You know, you, you want to save the planet, but you know, like the founder of Earth Day, you know, he kills his girlfriend and she's, you know, they find right. her body decaying in his closet. Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> more it's messed up so you say
0: in other words mend your own ways first write the things you know are wrong about yourself build a strong family and household invest in your children instead of crying for more government intervention start cultivating habits marked by discipline do hard things push yourself and everyone says okay all our listeners are going to say okay they're like i'm with you but how what do i do right that's where everyone's going to go and they're going to want to know, like, what, what steps do I take? How do I fall through on this? You know. Right.
1: And, and that's sort of, you know, that's the pastoral bone, I think, in my body is that I've, I've preached sermons, a biblical, you know, exposition of something like Matthew 7. And at that point, everyone will say yes and amen. Um, it's not until you get down to the details where you start, you know, then people want to throw you off the cliff because you're going to get into the particulars, uh, which is, you know, what we you know, where this goes.
0: Well, let's, let's go there. So, um, you give five steps. What's the first one?
1: Yeah. So the first one is order every area of your life and household according to scripture. And essentially what I'm getting at here, I reference, uh, Chris Wiley's books, which I think have been really helpful. Uh, his two books, man of the house and then the household and the war for the cosmos—I think—is the title. Mm-hmm. Those are just so foundational for understanding what is the household in God's plan for redemption. Um, that was very life-changing for me. And then Man of the House is more practical uh, and and very very helpful. So just encouraging people to look. Let's start there. Let's start with the fundamental assumption that Scripture, not Cosmo, not good housekeeping. Um, Scripture is the basis for what is the good life? How ought we to be structuring this household? It's not because we saw Johnny and all his friends and every competitive sport under the sun. It's because we were looking to Scripture and we said, well, I want that to be the pattern. So that's it, sort of the, the foundation. It, it, it's a little more general, but we have to start there, I think.
0: Yeah, that's great, too. And, and the other thing I think Christians need to hear, especially evangelicals, is we they think, yeah, Scripture is foundational, but they think of it in merely individual and spiritual ways. They don't think right. of it as cosmic or applying to everything. And everything that Jordan Peterson's saying uh, that's good, everything that the Red Pill, Manosphere guys are saying is good, you're going to find in the wisdom literature of Scripture. right? Right. Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, Song of Solomon's Job. You're going to find all that stuff there. And scripture has something to say about um, economics, about sex, about relationships, about um, developing male uh, friendships and trust and all that stuff. And yet we are not going to scripture there. And and we're often not even hearing those sermons in many churches.
1: Yeah. I think mostly you don't hear sermons on stuff like that. I think, Like you were saying before, I think we do have an assumption that, look, you know, scripture is the rule for ordering our lives. Great. But I think if you ask the average Christian, you say, well, what does the Bible teach about economics? Well, nothing, you know, save your money, I guess, and do good things with give to missions. That's it. Um, But, you know, and you and I have talked a lot about this, but building an anti-fragile home, building a home that is debt free. um, These are all biblical principles. But they tend to be things that get left out of preaching. And I think particularly in the pulpit, the reason is a lack of courage. I mean, I've stood in the pulpit and I've thought this, like, as we go through these points, it'll be more clear. But if you're going to talk to families about you should not have $200,000 of debt, it is impossible to be a faithful Christian and to fully live out the gospel kingdom When you have that level of debt, because your loyalty will not be to Christ in the kingdom. You won't be generous. You won't be practicing hospitality and the list goes on. But that's where you're going to have people like fighting mad. And if, if people question that, they say, well, I don't know. People seem to take it well. Just just look at the reactions when people go to like a Dave Ramsey conference. Like usually in the beginning, people are irate like what I have student loans and that's what we do. And how dare you? He tweeted yesterday. I saw this. He tweeted
0: yesterday that if you're in debt, you have no business stepping foot in a restaurant and people (laughs) lost their mind. (laughs) It was funny, (laughs) but he's got a point, right? He does have a point, but people are like, you mean I need to deny myself consistently? Right. You know,
1: and so, right, so you get into particulars, that's where you're going to get the pushback. And that's where I think uh, pastors, like that's where you're also going to make headway with people. That's how lives are going to be changed is when you start absolutely. dealing with particulars.
0: That's right. So the second one you have here is create margin in your life and avoid overload. We've talked right. about this a, a little already, but maybe summarize it and, and
1: add a little more. Yeah, I think it's, it's just getting Christians to think through wise use of time investments of energy um, activities that you're involved in as well as money, right? We tend to think there's some Christian movements that deal with finances that are helpful. Dave Ramsey being one, but I think less so we, we, we don't as much talk about time. Um, and, and any pastor, any elder, anyone who's ministering to families in the church, you know, when you people come to you and they say, well, my life is a mess. And you say, you know, show me your your bank account. Show me your schedule for the week, and we'll start to understand what's going on. And then you you realize, well, when you factor in that people are in forty two competitive sports across all seven of their children, um, they're maxing out money because that's expensive. But they're also pulled away from each other all the time. And so, if you if if we took point number one and we said, look, we we know Scripture teaches that we have to have a strong household. Well, then we have to look at our time and our money and say, is that, is that helping the household? Does it fit in with what scripture is teaching? Or as is the case, a lot of times it's actually destroying uh, the foundations of that household. So, you know, families aren't eating together. We're not practicing family worship. um, And we're not able to practice hospitality because we're maxed out. There's nothing left to, to give. Because as I say, we we haven't created margin space in our lives to be able to give and be charitable with time and and money.
0: Yeah. And margin, we've talked about this too, is that if you want to run at peak, you create margin. So the idea, I mean, this is really simple. If you're always running a machine and never resting it and never doing maintenance, that machine will break down sooner. Um, and that's true of our lives. A lot of times, we're just moving so crazy, and we think that filling space with more things to do uh, will somehow lead to a better life. Or, you know, even if those things are more church services, right? You see churches right. over-program like crazy, and right. I'm not an anti-program guy necessarily, but I do kind of get a little run Pol- polish with. You know, programs where I'm like, eh, yeah. "Let's streamline everything down as much as we can," um, but a lot of times those things are just crowding out your life. And I was talking to a guy. I get I do these phone calls with Twitter followers, and I was talking to a guy, and he's trying to he wants to have a child with his wife, and they're they're both really in the second half of their life, so they probably have to adopt, and she's not really into it. And he described to me, she has a her own business that's doing really well. And he, he has his own career. I, I think, don't think he's retired yet. He has his own career. and But he also does prison ministry, um, uh, preaches down the abortion clinic, street preaching, and really involved in his church. She's somewhat involved in the church, but he's really involved. And I was like, so how many of these things do you guys do together? And they didn't do almost any of it together, right? And I was like, look, man. You guys, maybe you guys should like start a garden together. Like, I mean, maybe like it seems like you guys are living two separate lives and you've filled everything up and you don't have anything in common. And you guys aren't, you should say, I married you because I wanted us to build a life together. And so what happens, you see this, people are being pulled away from the home and they're being weighed down with all this busyness. And then they have nothing for the family. And that's where all that should be going, right? That's the dividends there
1: are incredible. Right. Yeah. And as you say, I think one of the problems is that the church often fosters this mentality, often unspoken, but that busyness and activity overload will lead to or produces godliness. And one of the things I've seen just time and time again in very activity laden churches is that that's just not the case, right? You if you got everybody to sign up for Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Tuesday night, whatever, you know, every activity you could think of, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be more godly.
0: Nope. I, I, the more, the more I get, uh, weighed down with those things, I find myself tuning out more.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's right.
0: And these days all all we do with our family is we do, uh, we do small, we have a small group at our church and Sunday service and right. But throughout the week, we are, we we rarely is there a week where we're not getting together with a family or two and hanging out and talking. Right. So then you go on, get your financial household in order so your wife's main
1: work can be in the home. Yeah, this one is to drive out the closet feminists, um, even within the reform camp, which are definitely there. Um, But I, I think a huge part of it we've talked about is just being in a financial position where your household is stable. And I've seen this over the years through time in ministry and then also serving in seminary, you know, churches and then going to school and all that. Um, that really what happens is when the, the financial status of your house is in disrepair, your wife is continually coming to you and saying, I don't know if we have enough money for groceries. Maybe we should think about WIC. Um, you know, when you're in that position, your family is not going to thrive. Um, you 're going to have more tension, more turmoil it 's cliche, but it 's very true that you know they say a lot of the the divorces even within the church it 's financially related um, i was I have a friend who 's you know talking recently, and he said you know marriage is falling apart because i 've made poor financial decisions and so you can see how that would tax a wife on the flip side of it is okay then how do we build a financial situation in our home where my wife can She's enabled to work in the home, to care for the children um, and to make that it's a biblical priority. But have I made financial preparation and provision as a husband so that she can stay at home? Um, So moving toward that model, this is where it gets really dicey, I find with people, because people will say to me, oh, man, I, I wish I wish, Michael, I just wish my wife could stay at home like yours does. And I say, well, listen, we've there were years Years at a time, three years when we were in Illinois, where we had one car, it was a little Honda Fit and we shared it. Because we could have gone out and gotten a car, but it would have had to been on a loan. And, you know, my wife as much as me, we were just like, we're not doing that. You know, we're not taking on the debt. We think that's foolish. We've done that before. It didn't turn out well. So there's gonna be sacrifice. And what I'm encouraging really is is husbands to take the lead, lead your family in that, make it a priority and you be the one to help get a vision for what the finances are so that she can be, she can be in the home.
0: This past year, we've been working really hard in this area. Um, partially cause we're wanting to buy a farm out on the East side of Cincinnati. And, um, and, and so we've been using a mixture of Dave Ramsey and you need a budget YNAB. And, and I, I've, what I would tell men too is, no, there was a time where my wife could not be the one to pay the bills because the stress was too much for her. And I had to take it away and I had to do it. It was just too much. She had a lot on her plate and I could manage it. Uh, She's better at at that than I am, right? I'm more of a producer. Like I like to go make money. (laughs) I'm better at that area than, but now – She's got, we, we're really at this group where we talk about finances all the time and, uh, and it's not stressful, right? It's not stressful. Right. And you can get there, but you have to start taking steps. And And p- part of the process that we went through, especially last year, was well, let's get it all out. Where are we at? What is our net worth? What's our future? How are we going to take care of these kids? How are we going to deal? Like, let's be... Let's look at the brutal truth, man. And then, and then start chipping away at it. You know, and we've paid off tons of debt since then right. and, um, and it, it can happen. So, uh, she's always stayed at home. I've always found a way to keep her at home. But for those of you listening, uh, or watching any of the clips, um, if you, you can, you can get there. It may take a while. Decisions have consequences, but today's the day to start, you know, so. That's right. Um Then here's one. I told Nan not to write an article about this, and here I am. <laughs> here I am talking about yeah. this. So get your kids out of public school starting yesterday.
1: All right. Start, cause me some trouble, man. Yeah, exactly. So. Really, really, the idea here was that for for a long time, I in pastorally, I was this way. My mindset was, look, just be faithful. Some people are going to put their kids in public school. Some people are going to homeschool. I was not a hardcore homeschool only. Um, and to this day, I'd say there's there's other Christian options if you can afford them, and that is a huge part of it if you can afford them. But the the gist of this is, look, all of us are sitting here crying, or many of us within the Christian community we're crying about the liberalization of the public school system we're crying about university and colleges that are brainwashing our kids and they are i mean it's pretty demonstrable what's happened in a few generations but then we we don't do the necessary work and say well why are they that way you know you really want your kids to be trained and indoctrinated in like being inclusive to lgbt community is that really what you want um, and what I've seen pastorally too is that for the people who say, well, no, I'm just, I'm going to undo that with the hour I have with them in the evening. I I just think it's a, it's a backwards way to think about it. And from a practical level, it just, I've never seen it work. I think the predominant thing we're seeing in the church is that we're losing our kids. And I think this is one of the fundamental reasons why. Well, this is, this is the whole
0: thing, right? So if we're going to be fruitful, so the, the non-Christians, except for the Muslims, are not having children, right? right. And, and Islam is still quite the minority in America. The non-Christians in America are not having kids. If the Christians start having kids, like we have seven, soon we're just going to outbreed them, right? But that all depends on whether or not our kids are absorbed into their culture. That's right. And, and that's the real issue. And so the, the thing is, is the whole purpose of public school is to build a certain set of virtues and values into its participants. So, and that's the nature of, of every nation. Sparta, you're going to be a tough guy. Athens, you're going to be a, a philosopher, right? In our schools, you're going to be open to everything and and you're except, for christianity. Not, except for christianity because it's close-minded so you're going to have this open mindedness uh to anything but scripture really and so if your kids are going there 40 hours a week hanging out with kids you know i mean think about this this is what i think some older people forget can you imagine what it would have been like to be in high school with smartphones and porn No. I mean, or just gross stuff, dead bodies, you know, things you can look up online. It's just terrible. And obviously, it's hard to go ahead and switch from public to homeschooling. But if you are willing to take some incremental
1: steps, then you can do it. Well, and thats that was sort of the, my rationale for organizing these steps in the way that I did was that if your household is not in order financially, and then if your wife's not at home, well, then there's no point in telling people that, you know, homeschooling or pulling them out Yeah, So it's got it. You got to have those foundational steps first. Here we come to education. But I think mostly what people will come up with reasons not to homeschool is primarily because they're in bad financial straits. They're, they put themselves in a position, their wife has to work. And so it's not, it's not possible. And they're right to us, to an extent, they just don't realize that your choices have made it not feasible. And now, and and me just come in. Um, we
0: use Ambleside, which is a Charlotte Mason uh, form of homeschool. Ambleside, the website and the curriculum online is free. You have to buy books. The books sometimes cost a lot of money. But we're, we, we don't spend thousands of dollars a year on homeschooling. We're, no. we're we're well underneath that, and and nowadays there's co-ops and so many awesome resources online that are free. It's incredible the stuff you can get out there. I mean, the internet's the internet's you know a double-edged sword, man. It's with bad stuff. Right. It's brought good stuff, in. and and so well, yeah, there's think-
1: a whole host of stuff like you said, materials that make it easier to do. It's cost-effective. We sort of stumbled into it. First generation homeschoolers, first generation um, raising our children as Christians. Um, and you know, we were concerned about it and then they get older and you're just faithfully teaching them and they start testing three or four grades ahead and you realize, okay, you know, it's, it's going to be all right. We can do a really good job of this. And the most important thing is that God willing, they'll have the character of their parents. They'll love the Lord. They'll fear his commandments, right? They'll be obedient to Christ. That's the most important thing.
0: Amen. So
1: what's the fifth and final step
0: that you listed here?
1: Yeah, so the fifth step I have is find a church that preaches the specifics, not just vague gospel-centered generalities.
0: What's a gospel-centered <laughs> generality?
1: Yeah, I think uh at least in uh for non, you know, I'll say stateside in the uh, states, I think what we see a lot of and and he's talked about it too. He's familiar with it, but uh, with the gospel coalition with a lot of the mainstream evangelicalism, there's this huge push that every, every type of sermon has to be redemptive historical. It, it has to ultimately be, be about the soteriology of how does Christ save our soul? Um, all those things are good, and I go on to say that. That's, that's an essential message that we need to hear, but there's also wisdom literature. There's also the teaching of the law, which is delightful to the soul. And it's the spirit that writes that on the heart. So there's this whole sense of you need preaching that is going to call you to obedience on these particulars. Um, Especially I've seen this in reformed Calvinistic circles where basically we're reformed in soteriology only. And then we don't have anything to say to economics. We don't have anything to say to household management. And that I think is one of the particular reasons why men are, are pushed away from the churches because a man wants to know, like, how do I build my household? What do I do with my vocation?
0: I think everything is the inner life, right? Yeah. Every that's what everything's the inner life, and that's why they're obsessed with primarily justification, right? Is what they talk about, which is interesting. You don't hear a ton to talk about regeneration, and. But they do talk about it some, but they're not talking about, I mean, sanctification is not an area preached very much in churches. They often collapse um, or justification eats sanctification and they make them synonymous in the sense that like, well, you know, we're just sinners. And when you sin, that demonstrates how much we need Jesus, you know, and you're like, no, God, God's uh, faith or grace establishes the law, the gospel, Makes you more like Jesus. He it makes you become a law keeper, right? Um, law keeping doesn't justify you, but being justified makes you into someone that wants to live out the good life. And these churches won't teach it. And I've noticed that there is a relationship between antinomianism and gnostic uh, understanding of 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 uh, mankind, and you see it in Romans six, where basically uh, if if we're redeemed, we're going to make use our body as an instrument of righteousness. And there you see there you see the body and the law put together because the body's how we obey God. We obey God um, with our body. And in these guys that as they have a low view of anthropology, they end up having a low view of the law or vice versa.
1: Yeah, that's right. And I think the church overall has suffered. Because we don't, I mean, the reason that these teachings on same-sex attraction, um, the reason that there's revoice happening and people aren't, I mean, a lot of people that I've talked to in the church, I don't think that they're pro revoice. They just don't know what the hell it is. Um, right. they, they don't know how to address it. Um, I've had the conversation with people I would consider, men I would consider Bible believing. And they'll say to me things like, well, I don't think homosexuality I mean, does it send you to hell or effeminacy? Is that really bad? And and I think that's because the churches aren't teaching on that. You know, right. we're having these discussions. What does it mean to be a man? I think 50 years ago, people would not be irate when you say, "Get your household in order." Yeah, that's right. They would have said, "Yeah, duh." Tell me something I don't know.
0: <laughs> well, this is a this is a good article. I think it's uh, people can find it on our website it's good to be a it's it's the one at the top of the site right now but eric has written uh, quite a bit more and where can they find your stuff
1: eric yeah so most of my stuff will be at ericconn.com, and they can go
0: there pretty easy to find and that's e r i c c o n n.com that's correct and i see that your your twitter handle if you're not careful you get the wrong eric Conn.
1: <laughs> well, this is a problem because the, even if you Google Eric Kahn, you get like this Kentucky fraud lawyer, this lawyer who's been like, I mean, one of the biggest fraud cases of all time. So thanks no, a lot no, to really? that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's your Twitter Twitter handle? Oh, that's a good question. I think it's Eric underscore Kahn, just all lowercase. It is. Here it is.
0: Eric yep. uh, underscore Kahn. So I uh, want to recommend all our listeners uh, check out his website and follow him on Twitter. And until the next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love.